Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bccweb.com. Just being respectful for the young people. <laughs> uh, I just want to say this before I start. Be- behind every smartly dressed man, there's a woman with a very nice dress sense. Just saying. <laughs> she told me not to say it, but yeah. So uh, we're in our serious journey, and if you're new to church, I just want to welcome you, and I hope you'll have a nice time. And I hope that God will speak to all of us, hopefully. Because I want to speak about a journey of, of Joseph, uh, Mary's Joseph. M- many times when we think of the nativity story, we think of Mary and baby Jesus and the cattle and the shepherds and the magi and everyone. But I want just to focus on Joseph and show a pattern of uh, some situation he's been through. And then to try to translate it within our lives and our context right now. But before that, I just want to share a bit of my journey uh, until now, very shortly. So I was born two months after the uh, communism fell in Romania. So in December, uh, Ceausescu might have heard of him, the dictator. He was basically executed. And then we were finally a free country. Two months after I was born in a family where my mom was like 18 when she delivered me. My parents were never married. They're still not married. They're separated even now. And uh, I, was, I grew up in an abusive family. My father always beating my mom. Uh, some, one time he forgot me on the tram lines because he was drunk, so my mom saved me because the tram almost hit me. Other time he beat me because I couldn't count until 10 when I was two years old, and all these things. And uh, I grew up in this sort of environment. Sometimes my father coming drunk at night, kicking the half the lower half of the door so he can get in the house because my mom was terrified inside because she didn't want to let him in because she knew uh, what can happen. And then in this environment, my, fi- my father finally went to prison because he was basically looking for it, asking for it, because he beat a policeman. And uh, when this happened, my grandmother, uh, who she didn't like my mom at all, uh, she just kicked my mom out of the house with me and my sister, who my sister was one year old. I was four years old back then. So my mom, being a 22 years old young lady, girl, uh, she basically didn't have anywhere to live. So she took the decision to bring me and my sister to an orphanage. And uh, for 17 years, I grew up in that orphanage until I was 21, I think. And in the orphanage, uh, we might say that, oh, poor you, I feel sorry and pity for you. But for me, it was a step ahead. Why? Because coming from an abusive family, for me to go in an orphanage where I sort of had food and no one would really beat me, uh, it was a step forward. I made friends. Uh, I started to know people. Of course, there was not really the best food. There were like cockroaches in the oily soup and stuff like this, and <laughs> rats and other stuff. But in, in, this, in this time in the orphanage, I made friends probably for the first time in my life. And that was good for me, even though it wasn't the best situation. But because I compared it to what was before, for me, that was an improvement. It's going from like two stars to four stars, you know, hotel, <laughs> if you want to. So I learned that in life, you go through different uh, circumstances and situations. It's not always up, it's not always down either. It's up and down because this is, in my short 25 years, almost 26, I learned that there are ups and downs in life. And those of you that are a bit 
elder or in the elite class know a bit better than me <laughs> about these things. <laughs> so in, in this journey, I uh, started to go to uni because after I finished high school, if uh, I wouldn't study, they wouldn't keep me in the orphanage anymore. So I said, okay, I need to study because I want to have where to stay, right? So I went to study marketing uh, at the university. And uh, what happened then is that uh, I got a sort of a scholarship. So someone was paying for my uni. And uh, at some point, the people from the orphanage, they, uh, they were basically delivering the money to my, uh, to my bank account to go in the uni. I couldn't sort of touch those money. And, uh, what happened is that towards my third year, when they had to pay, they didn't. And because they didn't pay, I couldn't take the exams. So I failed all the exams with zero marks, all of them. So basically, I started three years of marketing, and uh, I basically flopped, <laughs> if you want, at the end, because I, could, I was not allowed to take the exams. I was not allowed because I didn't pay. And I didn't pay not because it was my fault, because it was their fault. And, and they, they said it's not their fault because someone, and you know how it goes, everyone just, sorry? <laughs> Thank you. And, uh, and, then, and then, because of that, I was quite angry and I was quite upset with the people. I went to them, sort of ready to, okay, let's, let's do it, you know? <laughs> so I went to them, spoke to them. There is this lady that comes to me and uh, she says, Vlad, you know, we're a family. I work in, in this orphanage and in this system since it's 26 years since I work here. We're a family. We need to... She was talking with this psychological stuff, you know? And I look at her and I say, Lady, <laughs> we may be a family, but I've never seen you in 26 years. So it's 17 years since I was in the orphanage. So don't start with the family thing, because it's not really working. I never knew you. So that was my journey. <laughs> then I decided, OK, <laughs> yeah, that, that was true. She was trying to, to have that kind voice, you know, that, that it didn't really work, because I was too motivated to make justice for myself. So I said, what happened? <laughs> and, uh, and then I, what, what I did, I was, I was speaking with the people, and I said, I need to. I want to live from the orphanage. Yeah. And that was a big step for me, because I grew up where I always had what to eat, I always had where to sleep, and, uh, and I was going to school. So for me to leave the orphanage, it was not really just, I wasn't going to my family, I wasn't going to a better place. I, I just said, I think it's time for me to move, to move out. So I took the decision, they gave me like 100 pounds, and move on, we're free from you, we wash our hands, nothing happened. And then for one year, I lived with my sister, we rented a flat, uh, in my city, and during that time, God started to speak to me that uh, I should go to a Bible college. I wanted to do this since I was 16, but m during that time, I was like, okay, what's next for me in my life? What's my next step? What should I do? And I was sharing this with some people in my church, and none of them wanted me to, to do this. Why? Because it was irresponsible. Rather, you need to study and get a job, which is normal, of course, you need to study and get a job. But somehow, in my heart, I felt that God wants me to study in a Bible college. I wanted to do this since I was 16. It was my dream, you know? So then I was just looking around websites, and I didn't want to go to a Bible college where it just fills my head but never shapes my character, because I can study without a new university. You know, it's, I don't really need to go to uni to study, because I can buy books and just read them. That's easy to do. So uh, at some point, uh, my, the guy that became my brother-in-law, but he wasn't my brother-in-law back then, he just, <laughs> he just called me and said, Brad, I want to pay for your Bible college. I was like, okay, wow, that's nice. And I never told him, because I'm the kind of proud guy who never says I need help, you know, especially to, like, your future brother-in-law. I didn't want to tell him this. So he just calls me, and uh, he puts me, sits me down and says, are you sure you want to do this? And you go through every step. He said, you can come to America to study at a seminar. Maybe it's even better. I said, no, somehow I feel I need to go to England. 
So I came to England, he paid for my first and second year, and I was really blessed, and uh, it was really nice. But people in Romania didn't understand this decision, because it was irresponsible, you don't do these things, you need to sort your life out. And then, maybe look, think about God, because that's how things work, right? First get a job, get a profession, and then go to Bible college, because just in case God some, sometimes will forget you or forget about you, you can go to a job at least, because you, you have the plan B, you know? But I didn't want to do this, and because I left, uh, somehow I lost many of my relationships and friendships, in, in, even in my church. And even still today, many, many don't, don't write to me because it was an irresponsible decision. And those, those that stood by me, they still didn't agree with my decision, but they say, we don't understand, we don't agree, but we're still your friends, and uh, nothing changes in our friendship. And that was really cool. So this happened, and then after I finished Bible college, I was like, What's next? Because I left my city. I have not many friends to go back. I don't have any home to go back because my sister got married. She moved in America. So if I was to go back in my city, there was nothing there for me. So I mean, I could stay with friends for two weeks, but I cannot stay with friends for like 10 years. You know, it's, it's a bit too much. You cannot have a guest for 10 years in a house because uh, he's no longer a guest after. And uh, so I was like, God, what, what's, what's next for me? And then... Uh, I didn't know back then, but now I know that Pastor Mark had a revelation from God in the office and said, we need to bring an intern from the Bible College. And then uh, I know Pastor Mark spoke to the directors. The directors said, what is, what, there's this opening uh, internship. I said, yeah, I'd like to do it because in a way, there was no plan B for me. Like I either go in ministry or I just, who knows what can happen because I had no place to go to. And by God's grace and by God, how he guides things to Pastor Mark and the directors and my life and everything. I came here for one year as an intern, and then at, in August I became part of the staff in the church, and it was really, really brilliant, and I really enjoyed it. <laughs> Thank you. That was shortly, shortly my story. I just want to share, share the journey. What I'm saying is that there was, it wasn't always easy. And when you make decisions about what God tells you to do, it's not easy. There's always this question, should I do it? Is it the right step? And then when you do it, there's all of us, all of a sudden you find yourself that, oh, but it's tough, it's hard, I want to go back. When I came to Bible college on the first day, I was like, I want to go back, because I didn't know anyone there. And I'm sort of the kind of guy who can easily make friends, but I couldn't really make it in the first hour when I was there. So I was like, I need to go back, but I didn't. So I want to look at Joseph, and keep in mind, Bits, bits of my story, and I want to show you a pattern of how God works in people's lives and in people's journeys. And lately, somehow, when I read the Bible, I just see patterns of how God works uh, in people's lives. So let's look at Joseph. I will just speak about skepticism, seclusion, and stability. Three S's. Uh, first time I go to tests, I go with S's. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to speak about skepticism, seclusion, and stability in Joseph's life. We'll, we'll focus mainly on Joseph. But of course, Mary and baby Jesus were there with him. But let's read firstly from Matthew 1, 18 to 22. It says, Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken 
by the prophet. So, Joseph was what we define today as the good guy, perfect man, the man that every lady would like to marry. Why? Because <laughs> he basically was a carpenter, right? Which means he had a business, which means he had money, right? That's why, and if you, if you think of in, that, in those situations, he basically had everything he needed, okay? That's the first point. So Joseph was probably in his 20s. He wasn't really old. He had already the, a business and he had money. He also got a girl, because he had Mary, which we know she was quite beautiful. So Joseph, young, money, business, girl. Okay, follow me until now. <laughs> and because he had all these things, he was also respected in his community. Why? Because it says that he was a just man. He was someone who, if people gossip about him, they said he's a nice man. He's a just man. So this is Joseph. Joseph probably was the guy who planned all his life out already. He knew every step. He said, I will, I will, I will make money to provide for my wife. I'll get the, the nice girl. And then I will be respected in my, in my community and everyone will speak good about me. What else do you need in life? Right. This is what everyone tends to look for. And even myself, I want to make sure that when I'll get married, I'll, I'll provide for my wife and uh, I will be a good testimony for the people around me. This is what we all inclined to do, and this is good. It's not bad. But then in Joseph's life, God kicked in. How? <laughs> his, his girlfriend was pregnant. Like, and he knew it's not him. Because, you know, he knew it wasn't him. <laughs> so, <laughs> So, so God comes, and through a miracle, Mary is pregnant with the one who was going to be the savior of the world, and he's like, ooh. <laughs> that, that's when skepticism comes in. It's like, I know it's not, I'm not the father, and probably she didn't cheat on me because she's a good girl. But God, I mean, like, who, who, who remains pregnant without any sort of, uh, you know, you understand me? <laughs> And that was Joseph in that situation when God ruined his plans all of a sudden. Because, why, why is this? Because we know he planned to leave her in secret. Why? Because if he would have married her, people would see that she's pregnant, of course, because you cannot really hide these things after a few months, probably. So, people would see she's pregnant. So, the people, how people are, they start to gossip. Oh, I know what they did. They, you know, and then... <laughs> And then, and then he would feel the shame. And then the respected man that he was and his reputation would really suffer a hit because people would start to speak bad about him. He will no longer be the good guy. He will no longer be the one that people speak good about. So that was his situation. The other one was he could have said to the people that Mary sort of cheated on him because it's the only thing that made sense, not God or anything else. Just, she just cheated on him. But this would mean I should have been punished very severely. And because he was really a just and good man, he didn't want to, he didn't want his girl that he loved to suffer. Of course, you don't want her to suffer ever. So he was in this situation, should I give on my reputation and my respect or give up on Mary? And in this situation when he didn't want to make any of these choices really, because he wanted the respect and the girl, of course. God, God comes in again with an angel and says, don't worry, don't worry. What, what you see happening, it's God's plan. I'm in control of this. So the angel says this, and then finally, after probably loads of convincing in his mind, Joseph admitted, yes, it is God's work in Mary. And sometimes, even in our lives, we, have, we are skeptics uh, when, when it comes to God's plans in our lives. Some people say that there is no God. 
So then if you, if I, if you, if you like, if I want to open my heart to God, if I want to give him space in my mind, if I want to give him space in my life and everything that I am, my friends will speak bad about me because, oh, you're going to this church or you, know, you, you use God as a crutch because this is what people say. But we know God is not our crutch. God is our lover. We have a relationship with God. And then the skeptics come and say, there is no God. It cannot be God. It makes no sense. That's not God. God doesn't exist. God is dead, as some people say, or God is like just in the plants and all this silly stuff. And then if you open your heart, you feel like, what will, the peop- what, what will people say about me? And maybe in this place, there are some of you who maybe think that, yeah, God doesn't really exist. But then if you would open your heart and your mind to God, you will be as Joseph, who basically nurtured the one who was to become the savior of the world. And when you align yourself with God's plans, great things can happen. Because we think we have our life sorted. Maybe you also have the girl or the guy, you have the money, and you have a very nice business, and uh, you have all your, plan or, all your life ahead of you. And then say, so why should I open myself to God? It makes no sense. I have already everything that I need. But when we open our hearts and minds to God, greater things than we even imagine will happen. In the same time, we as Christians are skeptics because God comes and says, I have a plan. I want to do this. But we have our own way of God doing things. And when God does it differently, and it makes no sense, and naturally it's like not possible, you know, with Mary, Joseph is like, okay, I'll just leave. God, make it obvious to me. I want to understand. And if God has something for you for this year. If you know that God spoke something to your life, do not just close your mind because it doesn't make sense. Open your heart and say, okay, God, I'll just chew a bit more on it. It might take a few weeks or one month or who knows, but I'll be open to listen to what you have to say to me because I want to be in your will. I want to do your will all the time. Okay, then secondly, I'll speak about seclusion. Why I chose seclusion? Because it starts with S. I could have said loneliness or something like this, or desert place. <laughs> but I want to seclusion, okay? I'll just quickly read one verse, Matthew 2.13. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph. So, second time. In a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, because Herod is about to search for the child, Jesus, to destroy him. So basically, what happened next in Joseph's life or after he finally said, yes, God, that's your work, even if I don't understand it, I, I have faith and I trust it's you. What happens? The same angel comes again and says, run away. <laughs> don't stay there. Why? Because there's the king who wants to kill Jesus. It's like, I mean, there's your plan. My, my girl is like having the one who is going to be savior of the world, who is not my child anyway. And I agreed that I would be part of your plan. And now you say, run for your life? This makes no sense. I mean, come on, God. <laughs> so what he had to do, he had to flee to Egypt. Now, in order to flee to Egypt and to run away, you had to go through desert. We know the Israelites, they, had, they spent like 40 years in desert or something like this. But it was a 2 weeks journey normally. So Mary and Joseph basically just married. where They just had a baby. And everything just didn't make sense. And their honeymoon was in desert. <laughs> now, that's not the type of honeymoon I'd really, really plan. And if, if, if I ever think of my honeymoon, it's, it doesn't really include desert, though it includes sands. sand, you know, <laughs> and a really nice place. So they didn't know what it means to be married because they didn't go to, like, BCC's 
<laughs> well, marriage course, you know. They've never been so blessed to go here. And they didn't know what it means to be a parent because, again, they didn't go to BCC's parents', parents course, you know. So they didn't know how these things work. They were really young as well, with a newborn baby, running for their lives, being in the desert, in the cold of night, the heat of the day, because, you know, in the desert it's not really nice. And it's not really the best place where you can really start your marriage and all your life because probably you argue a lot in those places. Oh, why did you bring me here? What kind of man are you? How about stop bothering me because it's God, it's not me? And all these things happening. <laughs> but with Joseph and Mary, it was in the desert place, actually, where their relationship was started to be strengthened. It was in the, in the desert place where they learned to be a good father and a good mother. It was in the desert place where they learned to communicate in their relationship. It was in the desert place where their relationship was to become really, really, really strong. And as a pattern, if you look in the Bible, the desert place has more of a positive connotation than a, than a negative one. Why? Just look at some examples. Let's, let's look at Jesus, okay? In his ministry, he was always going away to be alone with God. We know he was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights in the desert. He was continually tempted. And in the last day, he missed Satan counts and the two temptations. And then it says that he came out of the desert in the power of the Holy Spirit, and he started his ministry from the desert place, from that place where it was not really easy. Okay, he didn't eat at all for 40 days. Then the Israelites, we know he, they went through the desert place. In that desert place, they were like raining with bread from, from heaven, and then there were birds flying down and saying, just cook me, you know, and the, that was the, <laughs> like, that, like that was their desert place experience. <laughs> It was when they would see the pillar of fire and the smoke and God's presence and God's voice. That, all this happened in the desert. Provision, experience, relationship with God. Moses, in the desert place, he saw God passing right in front of him. In the desert place, nowhere else. In the desert place, they received the law. In the desert place, they learned about God's heart. In the desert place, they knew more and more about God. All of this happened in the desert place. They didn't happen in Egypt. And they also... Mary, Mary and Joseph, they had to go through the desert to go to Egypt. Now, that's not really the best place to be as a Jew because of the history, you know. <laughs> it was, they were really unwelcome. So they had to go through this desert place to be in an unwelcoming country as immigrants. That's not really, again, the best way to start your marriage. It's really not good. And then we think of Jesus as well. Jesus on that cross, he says, Father, why did you leave me? Why have you left me? Why? Because he was alone on that cross, secluded, away from everyone. And what happened? He, he, he was alone, and then Jesus basically went and he destroyed the power of death. Amen. On that cross, he saved you and me when he was alone and no one cared about him. When they beat him, put a spear in his wrist and everything, they, they crucified him, they whipped him. In that desert place where it was hard, where he was alone, on that cross, he said, I am dying here because I want to save the people. And after he conquered death, he took the keys from the gates of hell, he took the keys, and he has the keys from the gates of heaven because everyone who enters in heaven is through Jesus, and no one enters through hell because of Jesus if they believe in him. That's what Jesus did on that cross. And you see, in the desert place, is the best place to have experiences with God. Now, if some of you, and some of us maybe, are going to a desert place in this time, where you feel lonely, where no one understands you, maybe just your spouse, if you think of Joseph and Mary, Joseph and Mary but maybe not even him or her, they don't understand you. And if I'm in that desert place right now, I say, everything doesn't make sense. I did what God told me to do. But now I suffer. I followed God's, God's voice. And now I'm alone. It's cold. 
I cannot do it anymore. I don't see anything. There's no oasis. There's nothing around me. I want to tell you that in this place, you'll experience intimacy with God like never before. In this place, God is going to show you things that he never showed to anyone. In the desert place, God showed to Moses the tent of meeting, how to meet with God. How is it possible for men and God to come together? And no matter how, how hard it is sometimes, no matter how hard it is, keep tight there, stand strong, because God is there with you. Even if it looks like he's not there, he was still there with Joseph, with Moses, with the Israelites, with everyone. God never left them. Well, and what is absolute is that you'll get out of the desert place. When? I don't know. How? I don't know. But I know for sure you'll get out of that place. And when you'll come out stronger, you'll come out very, very strong. Not just stronger. Not just with new experience. And Mary and Joseph, in that desert place, that, that desert place was like the foundation of their future marriage and relationship and uh, experiences with God. In that desert place, they experienced God and they learned to trust Him. When you have nothing else to cling to, when you no longer have the money, the business, and the reputation. Who cares about this in desert, really? And God was there. And God was there for them. I want to say that God is there for you. No matter how, how tough it is. If you're alone and no one understands you. And I've seen it so many times in my life. I, I will take hours to just speak about what things God has done in my life. And I'm not sorry for any of them. I'm not sorry I went to orphanage. I'm happy, actually. I thank God for it because I am where I am today because of that. I understand some people who are lonely. I might understand people who don't know how is it to have parents. And I say, it's, don't worry. Parents are not the, the ultimate thing in life, you know. There is God. God is our Father. And I, in, in that desert place when I was alone, maybe at the beginning of the orphanage, and I was looking at the window, hoping that my mom would come back, somehow I turned to God and said, it's like, God, you are my Father. Like, you're all I have, you know. Sorry. And many times in my life, I, I thought, God, you're all I have. And I don't need anything else. I said to God once, if, even if, if I am to sleep under the bridge and have no food to eat, I will always, be, I will always serve, no matter how, how hard it is. Because God never left me alone. And God will never leave any of you alone. So the crying is not part of the notes. <laughs> what I'm saying is that because of Jesus, because he chose to be alone in that desert place, we are stronger. We are more than conquerors through him who strengthens us. And I know all of you have loads of experiences and loads of testimonies and loads of stories where God just kicked in when it seemed like it's tough. God will always, always be there. And he was with Mary and Joseph and with baby Jesus, of course. They ne they never, he never left them. And I'm telling you, if you're in a desert place, make the most of it because it's the best place to be for now because after you'll be strong. You'll be able to minister to other people. You'll be able to encourage and inspire other people after this. If you want to be a minister, which means to serve, you need to learn how is it to serve, right? This is the desert place. If you're in there, very good, I would say, really. You'll get out of it. But you'll be stronger, and God is with you now, and he will always be with you. Finally, the, the, the third point in their lives was the place of stability. So after basically 
the, Joseph agreed that it's God's plan and they, they were alone in that desert place where they had lots of experiences with God and they went to Egypt where no one liked them. It was tough. They finally came to a place of stability. It says in uh, Matthew 2, 19-21 and verse 23, When Herod died, so King Herod who looked to kill Jesus, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph, third time, <clears throat> saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. So basically, leave from Egypt. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. Verse 23, And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. So finally, after all the waiting, after all the hardship, after all the situations, God prepared for them a place of stability where they were finally starting to put roots as a family. No longer desert place, no longer running for their lives, no longer be under threat in the cold, in the heat and everything. They were finally starting to put some roots because it was spoken by God beforehand. You know, if that happens in your life, God is in control of it. God knows it. It's not like God is surprised. Oh, I didn't know you're in a desert place. He knows. And it's all part of God's plans because all things work together for the good of those who believe and trust in him and love him. All things. And by all he means desert and stability. But now Joseph and Mary were finally in this place. There was stability. It was really nice. They start, finally started to, to sort their life together, their marriage. To Maybe Joseph's plans were finally starting to basically be fulfilled and say, I can finally do what I wanted to do. It's not, it wasn't the idea of start of our marriage, but I am here now, and I am stronger. And I will be here for my child, for Jesus, which is his God anyway. I'll not go there for now. But uh, <clears throat> no matter to what situation you go, there will be a place of stability. That's, that's a fact. This will, sooner or later, I don't know when. That, that I cannot tell you, really. Because I'll be alert to just say this is when it will happen. Unless God really tells me, but he didn't tell me. So what I tell you is that it will happen. And if you, if you feel like you're in a tunnel, it's like, look ahead, because at some point you'll see the light. At some point you'll come on the surface. At some point you'll be there, because God is in control of everything. God had a plan for Jesus to be incarnate. And he always took care of him. Because we know Satan wanted to kill Jesus since like before he was born, literally, with Herod, then the priest, and everything. When, when he finally thought he killed Jesus, Jesus says, oh no, <laughs> I killed you. And in that place of stability, it can start to build up. In that place of stability, when there is peace, it starts to develop. It starts to learn new things, starts to create, to build. And I believe that even us, as a church, we're, we're coming to this place, and as Pastor Mark said, in, in the beginning, I said, that's really good. It goes with my preaching. Thank you, God. <laughs> it's like, there is, 2016, I believe it can be a, a, a place of stability where you build up, develop, grow, discover more who you are, who we are as a church, what, what, what plans God has for us. And it will come. That's, that's like for sure. Believe me, okay? Because God says so. 